As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the Insomnia Project. Sit back, relax, and listen as we have a conversation about mm, the ordinary, the mundane. One thing that we endeavor to do is to make our conversation mm, less than fascinating so that the listener can just feel free to sit back, lie back, and drift off. I want to thank you for joining us. We hope you will listen and sleep. I'm your host, Marco Timpano, and joining me in the studio is Ben. Ben, I never know how to say your last name. It's uh, Aaronsberger. Aaronsberger. Yeah. Because I look at it, and I'm like, I know I'm going to mess this up. Yeah, most people. Most people do. But, um, yeah, Aaronsberger. Swiss German. Oh, is that that the background? Yeah. So, uh, another long name, but, um, yeah, I, I mean, it's always been something that... Everyone, everyone asks me how to spell it. No, sure. no one, no, or, or say it. No one really knows right. right off the bat. But see, and I, I meant I was having trouble with your first name. Oh, Ben, Benjamin. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you this, Ben. We share a sort of love for photography. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I studied photography in high school, and I actually won the photography award. Oh yeah. Um, but after that, cameras got so complicated and whatnot, yeah. and whatnot that I. I, you know, found myself to be lost with a camera, with a DSLR With the digital realm. Yeah. So let me ask you, tell me about the first time you sort of encountered photography and what it was that really attracted you to it. Um, I'd say the first time I really was drawn to it or sort of attracted by it was when I was younger. And um, my parents actually had a Canon, they had an old Canon film camera. Like just like a nice... Big black, okay. like thirty-five millimeter, millimeter um, film camera, and and you could look through the lens, and it would be the exact image of what you saw, and it was just so real, and the, sh- the sound of the shutter, and then developing those those photos into actual uh, film copies, like right. and, see, and having those, my mom actually still has like um, 
a, a trunk in her bedroom. Well, so she she had all the photos. you know the um, the pans and the yeah, um, yeah. Well, what was that thing called that the that you would um, shine the light through so it would hit the photographic paper. Um, oh, I don't know that thing. That. I'm sure we'll we'll yeah, remember. We'll, but yeah, she had all that stuff. So you would develop your own film. We would develop our own necessarily in high school. I did that. Okay. Um, I learned how to do that. But, but she had a trunk of just... Just like the actual film and then the actual uh, negatives oh, wow. from, from the company that developed them. Sure. We still have like all of those 4 by 6s that, that are thick way back. Right. So, but, um, and then it, I really sort of gained an appreciation for it more in high school when I got into photography class where we actually sort of learned the basics and the, the different um, techniques. And one of the cool things we did in the... First first year I did it was build a um, pinhole camera. Yes. Right? Out of a cardboard box. And you sort of... It's just a cardboard box, essentially, right. with a little hole. And I feel like everybody the, who takes a photography class... Because I remember doing the pinhole yeah, photography. Yeah. And it's always described as this monumental sort of thing that we're going to do and blah, blah, blah. And then when I did it, I was like... <laughs> Yeah, I was like, okay, I get it. That's the way they used to do it back in the day. But no, it is. It's very, very um, sort of basic and sort sure. of a simple method. But it does give you an appreciation for how light works, right? And how basically everything you see is is light, and how right. light re- decides to reflect off different objects and co- and create your perception of color. And sure. um, obviously, when we did that, it was black. Just we'd use black and white film, but it was really, really interesting. Sure. And sort of playing around with different... You really learn the um, appreciation for exposure times. Right. And um, the amount of light that you're actually letting in to the camera. Right. So, F-stop? Is that the... I never... I yeah. Never, I always... F-stop. The all aperture, those really. Aperture, all those things. I'm like, mm, this bores me. Yeah. So the problem is... That's My fair. problem is it bores me, and so I don't have a great understanding of it. And so I took a course to learn about the DSLR camera, the yep. DSLR camera that we purchased. And once again, when it got to aperture, f-stops, and um, the other one, I was kind of like, oh, this is really, I'm not into this. But yeah. it's so important, and light is so important, like you're see, saying, like it's so key, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's exactly what photography is and it's all about I mean light is so important when I when I was really into it I really liked using natural light and light that was found um, not because of uh, projected in the room like it wasn't something that it's just like I really enjoyed shooting photography Um, I mean the golden hour for instance which is uh, an oh. hour before the sun sets. Oh, and it's called the golden the hour. The golden hour. Oh, cool. So, I mean, if you have a clear night, maybe preferably in the summertime, it's sure. the golden hour. And it's the hour right before the sun sets. So do you, like, grab your camera and just go during in the, the golden I hour? I have in the past, All like, right. um, spontaneously, like, if, sure. it's, if it's really good one night. But that's, like, the, the use of, like, sunlight, natural light, sure. playing around with that rather than doing it in post or... Or playing around with actual light fixtures. Right. I'm more. I enjoyed the raw, more sort of natural aspect of that. But. And what's your favorite subject? What do you like to photograph? Is um, it like? Are you like, anything and everything? Or are you like? I like to photograph. I, I, landscapes or people or portraits or bees flying. I really enjoyed um, just walking around street street photography. Okay. Sort of uh, run and gun style. Sure. Not having anything specifically in mind, sort of exploring with my camera. But um, I also do really enjoy like portraiture, and um, 
being able to take a photo of an individual and like to see if it's especially up close, like you see their face, you see right. their sort of character, the beauty, the character, the yeah. blemishes, and light, yeah. light, right? It's a huge sort of people are self conscious, but if you take a photo properly and you know how to play with light, you can really change the perception. Oh, one hundred percent. Someone might feel about themselves. the thing I love about street photography is that when you look at old photos of your city back in the 70s, back in the 80s, back in the 1920s, a lot of it is street photography. A lot that attracts me is the street photography. So you'll see a street that has changed. Like, for example, in Toronto, Young Street is one of the um, quintessentials or, or prolific or best-known streets in the city. Yeah. And I don't know if you've seen these photos of Young Street in the 80s when there was like before Sam the Record Man was there or, you know, now Sam the Record Man's no longer there, but mm -hmm. the street photography captures a moment in time and a moment in your city's life mm -hmm. that is so fascinating. And, you know, if you go out today and you take photos of the city and things that are happening, it's kind of like, oh yeah, this is what's happening today. But 20 years from now, when people look back at those photos and they remember, Oh, there wasn't a condo there. Look, there's a condo there now. Or yeah. do you remember when that store was really big and now they've gone out of business? Yeah. I find that sort of there's a, a journalistic or historic sort of element to street photography that I love. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And um, I mean, that's the coolest thing, too, is like that's exactly what it is. You're capturing that moment in time mm -hmm. and it's going to change and it's going to um, sort of evolve into something maybe totally different. Sure. But that's what's so cool about photography is that you're taking a snap of that moment right. and you get to sort of savor that. And that's something I love about film too is like actually recently um, picked up a Polaroid camera. Oh, cool. Like a, or like an Instax, like Fujifilm, sure, like sure. A, a mini and, it, and you kind of can just crank these photos out that, that are, you get one copy. Yeah. And that's one chance. And that's it. And that's such a cool, like you don't have, you don't have to, to edit on your phone you don't right. have like you can't send it here send it there it's just that's it you have that one you got copy that. Yeah. and if you want to share that you've got to make copies of it yeah right? you can do that yeah. if you want to but. Andy Warhol and his um, Polaroid photographs yeah. um, it's just so fascinating to see and the interesting thing I've always found with these sort of instant photographs is that the colors don't seem like true colors Yeah. and so they give it an ethereal sort of quality or this like really uh, it's like dreamy yeah like, almost like yeah or just there's a coolness to it and like yeah. you know actually seeing yourself through the eyes of a person who's photographed you in a polaroid situation or like an instamatic situation it's pretty neat mm -hmm. kind of like you know when you go in those booths and you pay whatever two to five bucks and then it takes four four yeah uh, and shots. you get, like, spits it out on the side yeah. well that's like a perfect example of a moment and like mm -hmm. cap that ca capture of that moment my recent moment with photography was this, Ben. So I had to get my passport renewed. Yeah. And of course, I've got all the paperwork together. Everything's ready to go. But I don't have the passport photo. And so I remembered when I... So I was getting my Italian passport. Because I'm a dual citizen, so I have both a Canadian and an Italian passport. So I go to the consulate. And I remember the last time I had my passport renewed there, there was all these passport picture places, right? Yeah. But I went really early in the morning to take my passport photo because I wanted to go to the consulate when it opened so I could get in and out as quickly as possible. And I was going around looking for someone to take my passport photo and I couldn't find anyone. 
And there was a place that said passport photos and it was one of the sketchiest places I've ever been to in my life. I went up the stair and it was like, go up another flight and there's massage like parlors. Like where you get a fake ID when yeah. you're in high school. Yeah. yeah, it was one of those places. And there was this kind of shady looking dude standing in front of the place that was supposed to take photos for passports, but it was close. And I asked shady dude, I said, um, excuse me, do you know what time this opens? And he goes, an hour ago. And I'm like, oh, it's not open. He goes, I don't know. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to leave this place. So then I asked someone, where can I get a passport photo taken? And they're like, oh, the convenience store does it. So I got my passport photo taken in some little convenience store. I love it. And there you go. And that's that's what it is. I think initially you, you, you seriously were trying to get a fake ID there. That's what that it, sounds like. It would seem. Right. Now, don't get me wrong. In the past, I've gotten There fake must have IDs. been a password <laughs> that you just didn't know. And he, Most he likely. He was the bouncer. But he probably saw me and he's like, this guy's not sketch enough to get into our premises. So yeah, yeah. he's not getting in. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Who or, who or what do you, like, who's your favorite photographer? Or what is it that you love in photographs that you try to emulate in your photo photographic works? Um, there's nothing specifically that comes to mind um, in terms of photographers or people that sure. I might try and emulate. Like, I think it's really cool to develop your own style. Oh, awesome. And, like, figure out sort of what that is. And I don't, there was obviously different inspirations uh, growing up and different people that, there was a one commercial photographer that I, I really enjoyed sort of following what he was doing. Okay. His name's Chase Jarvis, and he did a lot of commercial photography where it was like big production, sort sure. of traveled a lot and did these really cool um, different uh, f like film production, and they did all sorts of coverage with photography, um, lots of commercial work for right. different sort of sports brands, and that was, that was really interesting at first, but that's, more, that's sort of like the bigger production side of of the industry i feel like and more like there's a lot more money involved sure. there's a lot more production involved in general right and it's not as like i mean to me it was always more of a hobby and something i enjoyed right. just sort of to do on my own and not necessarily try and um create a career right. on it but although i've seen some of your um food photography yeah and it's pretty awesome and that blends sort of your career yeah, as a chef with a hobby yeah. which is photography yeah and that's something i've tried to do sort of um through my career in food is like that i i don't ever want to lose that right. that photography and i always want it's always something i want to continue to do and continue to sort of um like develop, develop? my own style sure. right like and, and that will never change and and now with food sort of being something that's a primary aspect of my life and like you can tie those two together. So it's really, it's really cool and fun. So let me ask you this. What would you recommend for a novice who's using their like, cause you see this all the time in restaurants where people get their dishes brought to them and they want to capture this moment and they take a photo of their dishes and they post it on Instagram. Yeah. And I have friends and I'm not going to single them out who will do this. And the food looks terrible. And you yeah. know who's notorious for this is Martha Stewart. She'll take photos of food, and it looks horrible. Just and, like and bright flash. Yeah, or like the food just doesn't look complimented by the yeah. way, the angle, or whatnot. Are there any tips you would give people who are going to take food, photos of the food they're about to eat? Well, um, I t honestly, I don't. I avoid doing that at restaurants. I don't like pulling out my camera sure. all the time. Like in given situations, maybe it will be something cool to really capture if it's something really interesting. Right. But 
something that I've learned in, in food photography specifically is, is using natural light. And, okay. And using, I mean, obviously you're not going to find that in a dark restaurant at night. Sure. But um, you might be able to find that uh, during the daytime or somewhere where you can have access to natural daylight. Sure. It's like the best, I feel, not using a flash, not using any um, sort of condescent bulbs. Like right. you're using natural light is the best I feel is going to complement the food yeah, the best. Yeah, absolutely. Or you have to set up giant lights, yeah. which is hard to do in a yeah, restaurant yeah. when you're you can't eating. can't do that all the time, right? <laughs> Speaking of your work as a chef, I want to talk to you about knives. Okay, yeah. Okay? Because I know a chef's knife is a chef's greatest weapon in the kitchen yeah. or their greatest ally in the kitchen. Is that safe to say? Sure. I mean, like a lot of people say that. And it is something you use every day and it's something that you get really used to sure but by by no, by no means do i feel like you have to have the best knife to create the best food or sure. or you have to have the most expensive sharpest right. knife to do Some anything weird it's steel. not going to help you right. really at the end of the day right so you, you need to know it's more you, of a tool right okay but i i, I love i love uh like like tools and right. sort of like different things that help you in your craft and sure like, a knife is something that i think is really really interesting and really sort of like universal and you can use it in so many different ways but to cook with it is like you, you have to use it right like, right now can you tell the difference when you're using your knife in the kitchen versus a chef colleague's knife like when you pick up their yeah. knife well, they, they say that's actually, you get really used to your knife right. and how it feels. And sometimes I've grabbed colleagues' knives and they feel completely different. And you're almost, it's, it's kind of like interesting. It's almost like you're learning again how to, to use it. It's, it's kind of, um, it's just a different feel. Right? Sure. Every knife has a different feel. Right. So What do you look for in a knife? Uh, I don't, um, I like, I like a, a good weight okay. on my knife. Like, and something that's not crazy big. Okay. Like I actually prefer a smaller chef's knife I style see. because it's just more, um, you, it's more sort of you have more versatility with sure. it, and it's just a little bit more manageable, mm-hmm. especially in a small kitchen. So, cool. Yeah. yeah. And you got to take care of your knives. That's one of the things because we bought some some good knives. Like, you know, we, we went to the store and we had this whole like you bought these knives and then you got a free cooking class and you got to learn how to take care of the I don't even know Ben I just kind of went with my wife and we're like all right we're going to do this knife thing right but what I found interesting was the gentleman who was sort of talking about the knives said uh two things that really are not good for knives are putting them in a dishwasher or mm-hmm. leaving them in water yeah and cutting on glass yeah I mean I I who wants to cut on glass I don't know that's just like nails on a chalkboard. Well, some people have like these um, cutting boards yeah, that are made I've of glass. Yeah, I've seen those. I, I mean, I'm sure I've had one in my growing up at some point. Sure. My parents definitely had one of those, but I don't know. It's just that's – and yeah, that's something I think the most common mistake is the dishwasher. Yeah. And um, yeah, you do have to maintain – like if you take care of a knife, it will last you forever. Right. So just like a lot of different tools and different crafts. So. And how important is it to sharpen your blade? Uh, it's very important, and it's just a matter of sort of maintaining it too. Like, because I've seen you sharpen your blade, and it's a thing to watch because it's serious business when you're doing it, and you're very there's a there's a sort of elegance to it too. There's a sort of way that you're moving your hands and the oh, what's it called the 
the, the stone steel. or the honing steel. So yeah, that's yeah. a honing steel. Yeah. And there's, um, I mean, that's actually technically not, you're not sharpening this, the blade. You're, you're, oh. you're realigning the steel. So once you use, when you use a knife, the edge sort of curls and folds over. Okay. And, um, basically what a honing steel will do is it kind of real, brings that edge back to, um, center, center. Okay. And, but what hap- you're not actually shaving metal off. I see. So when you take your your knife onto a stone, like a wet stone, oh, I've seen you do that or too. Or a belt grinder, yeah. Which you would like a, ideally you're using a stone, right? That's um, when you're actually going to take metal off of the blade and yeah. you're sharpening it. So I see. Hone, a lot of people mistaken honing oh. for sharpening, but technically it's it's really not. It's actually oh. you're just sort of you're sort of maintaining its edge. I see. Yeah, throughout the I day. See. You can do that a couple times a day or as much as you need it. As sure. As much as you use your knife. But yeah, so that's sort of a common... So how often do you use the stone on your knives? Uh, I mean, I don't find that... It depends on the style of knife you have okay. as well and the steel that it's made from and sort of whether it's a soft steel or a hard steel sure. or a steel that maintain Like if it's a harder steel, it might maintain an edge longer. Mm-hmm. And if it's a softer steel... It might get dull faster, but you can bring the edge back easier. Oh. So it sort of is all varying on what kind of steel the knife is using. And also sort of the style, like Japanese knives are thinner okay. styled knives opposed to a, a French or sort of European style knife, which is like a thicker Henkel. Right. You know, like the Henkel's yeah. three dot black handle, yeah. like hefty knife. Sure. And the Japanese are a lot more delicate and thinner and more like um, fragile actually okay. the blades are very fragile so which do you prefer I really like I love uh, like a European or German style handle right but a Japanese blade oh you so, like the best of both worlds yeah. and do they do, they do they, that yeah there's companies there's different brands that make okay. different um, styles of knives but yeah that, that would be my sort of ideal and uh, so here's another question is there a knife that you currently don't have a particular knife that you would like to have. For example, I don't have a fish knife to yeah. debone fish. Yeah. I had no reason because I don't ever do it, but I want that knife. Because yeah. I watched a program where they were like, this is the perfect knife to debone any. And they were just like filleting fish and like just cutting out the bones. And it was like an interesting looking knife and all that. Now I want that knife. Mm-hmm. I don't need it, but I want that knife. Do you have a knife that you, or do you have all the knives you need? Um, I don't have like... I try not to have a lot of like I don't have a lot of not I don't have this massive collection. Okay. I have the bare like sort of what I need and what sure. I use. But if there was one that I could sort of that I would add and or or something that I would need or want. I sure. Guess so if like someone's listening, they're like, I don't know what to get Ben for his birthday. <laughs> this is the, this is what you're what you're saying. Um. So careful what you say, Ben, because oh, you might get it. Honestly, you know right. what? I I really am intrigued by. Um, specifically in Asia, they use like cleavers, right? A lot for everything, like they just a cleaver. Sure. For they can use that for everything right. that they're cutting, in in food preparation. I, and I don't have one. It, is the be, one that Chris uses? Is that a cleaver? Like that's, I said? A, that's called a nikiri. Okay. And it's sort of a smaller style, squared off vegetable knife. Okay. Or si- similar style, but a cleaver, like a meat. Cle- you want a cleaver? Meat cleaver. The one with the hole at the. Yeah, the like a good, like I don't need that. I'm probably right. not going to use that sure. very often, but that's something I, I, I want. One of my favorite knives that I have in my collection is a cheese knife. Yeah. I love cheese, and I like to use. And there's something about my mother's family. So my mom's family 
always grew up. You know how you have one item in your house that no matter what, when you have nothing, you have this one item. Could be bread. It could be yeah, um, whatever, like sweets or whatnot. Jeez. It was always cheese for my mom, right? Because she grew up on a farm and they made their own cheese and whatnot. So we always, growing up, we always had cheese. And my mom was very particular on how you sliced or carved cheese okay. and what knives to use. And so that translated to me. So my wife, when she approaches cheese... She's a maniac. She's just like a serial killer. She hacks away. The cheese ends up looking like sorrowful. It's, yeah. And it always aggravates me. And we have a cheese knife. And I love using that cheese knife on soft cheese, hard cheeses, and whatnot. And I believe that there's a certain proper way to cut different types of cheeses, oh, I, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so I really, I love my cheese knife. I love the the different spatulas and whatnot that you get for harder cheeses and whatnot. And to me, that's one of my favorite knives. Do you have a favorite knife? Um, I know you talked about your, your chef's knife, but is there a knife in your kitchen where you're like, I'm, I'm glad I had this? I actually, it's funny you say that because my chef's knife, I recently got a new one a few months ago and um, damaged the tip no. a few weeks after I got it. Oh. And so I've been using this, it's called a petty knife or a utility sort of style knife. Okay. And it's a very small, sort of very thin blade but it's fair, like decently long, maybe seven inches long, and but it's very thin and small in comparison to a chef's knife. So it's a very, very small sort of tactile knife, and I've been using that in, in at the restaurant every day for the past few months. Okay, and just that knife, and I and it's it, I love it. It's tremendous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's awesome. But what what it begs the question: What happened to that chef's knife that you? you I well, I have to get it fit. I took it home. And then now it's just, I, I it's a just sorrowful, it. sorrowful. I just sort of like look at it. I'm, I'm going to take care of you one day. <laughs> I just have to find the time. Oh, man. I'm sorry to it hear that because I, I, I know that these sad. knives are expensive too, yeah, right? Yeah, That's why whenever I see someone use a knife incorrectly, like, you know, have you ever seen somebody take a chef's knife and like, and yeah. then like do like, just stupid like stuff. silly things yeah. and you're like you're gonna you're gonna break the tip you're gonna or, make or, it. or yourself you know you're yeah. gonna break yourself yeah fair <laughs> enough like you don't want to be doing that i will say this though ben you know there's a saying that i think in your case would probably be the opposite and that's never bring a knife to a gunfight i have a feeling if you went to a gun knife or a gunfight with a knife you would do some serious oh, damage. I think so. I think I'd stand a chance at least. <laughs> <laughs> just, even just by throwing those knives. Yeah, that's what I do. I just throw it right away. Yeah. And then, Fair enough. That's it. Fair enough. That's all you got. Let, listen, be careful with those knives. They say that the uh, the most dangerous thing in a kitchen is a dull knife. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Would Very you say true. so? Yeah, because it's just the, the, they say the likelihood of it slipping off of a different food product is, is more likely sure. because if you have a sharp knife it's going to go straight into that material opposed to putting more pressure to try and get it to go in right. and then having it slip off and potentially cutting yourself so right. knife safety knife rules you want to you know, you one follow. on one you got that's the basics right there there you go Ben so, I want to thank you so much for being a part of this episode yeah thanks for having me Mark I hope you had fun I certainly learned not only about um knives but about photography as well yeah well, and those are two topics that don't get talked about together often enough yeah <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for having me no worries as always i want to say uh, thank you to my guest ben and um this episode was recorded by drumcast productions and we were recording in toronto canada once again we invite you to rate us on itunes and send us a message at listen and sleep we hope you enjoyed this episode.